0: The Explore Oregon podcast is brought to you by the Statesman Journal, newspaper of Salem in the state capital since 1851. I'm your host Zach Ernest and in each episode producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. In this edition we're traveling to Oregon's fire lookout towers. The mountaintop cabins still used to spot wildfires that have also become the single greatest place to spend a night. But first, Here's some guitar music to get us rolling. There are few places more romantic than a fire lookout tower. The historic cabins sit above the clouds, atop the mountains, at many of Oregon's most beautiful viewpoints. Once a fixture of the American West and staffed by men and women who spent summers spotting wildfires, Lookout towers have gradually disappeared, replaced by airplanes and remote cameras. Yet lookouts have kept a firm grip on our imagination. They provide some of Oregon's best hiking destinations, and even better, you're allowed to rent around 20 of them overnight, providing the bucket list experience of sleeping on a mountaintop.
1: In this edition of the Explore Oregon podcast, we're taking a deep dive into Oregon's lookout towers. We'll travel to forgotten lookouts deep in the wilderness and talk about how to reserve your own for the night. We'll also visit an active fire lookout where Ann Amundsen has been keeping watch over the forest for
2: three decades. I have a nice view every day. I get paid to hike up here and look at this. <laughs>
0: so. All right, David, so let's talk about mountaintop fire lookouts. So for the uninitiated, what we're talking about here are small cabins, big glass windows perched high enough for a panoramic view of the surrounding forest. Most lookouts were originally built in the 1930s and 40s, and they come in every shape and size. Some are perched on legs 80 feet above the ground, while others are just kind of built into the mountaintop summits. I think the best way to think of them is the lighthouses of the mountains.
1: Normally we'd start with the location, but Oregon's lookouts are really spread out over every corner of the state. They exist pretty much everywhere there are mountains. So how many total do we have in Oregon?
0: So at one point, like at the height of fire lookouts, there were around 800 or 900 lookouts spread statewide. That's crazy. That blows my mind. That's a lot of lookouts. That's like every single major point in the state. But they've gradually disappeared, and today there's only 160 remaining. So let's start with how we're going to break this down.
1: I think we sort of settled on three distinct types of lookout towers across Oregon.
0: Yeah. So because you can't really classify these by location, we kind of thought we'd do it by category. So the categories we came up with are abandoned and possibly haunted lookout towers. Spooky. Yeah. We've got the still active lookouts where people are still spotting wildfires from them. And we've got the most popular ones, the lookouts that are open for rental. Okay. But before we jump into the details of those different
1: types of lookouts, let's start out with our traditional question. Why go? Lookouts are way, way out there. A lot of them require driving on some pretty scary roads. So why go to all the effort?
0: So I've known about lookouts my entire life. And I always thought that they were kind of this cool symbol of the American West. Again, kind of like lighthouses. But the moment things changed is when I realized you could stay in them overnight. Like I was like, say, say what? Really? Like you're allowed to just stay in those really cool-looking buildings that just never would have occurred to me as being possible. And so once it was, I got really into it. I started renting as many as I could and even traveling to the ones that are, you know, broken down. I really, you know, it became kind of a quest for me. And the thing that I loved so much about them is that they're each unique and different in their own way. Like some of them have, you know, 80-foot legs where it's like a stairway to heaven to climb to the top. Some have a little hatch in the roof you can climb into. Some have, like, old-school Firefinder and Compass. It's a thrill that each time you arrive at a new one, you know, you climb up the stairs into the hatch, and you're like, oh, what's going to be cool about this one? I, I think the best analogy is, like, if you love baseball stadiums, you know, you can travel to them, and it's the same basic thing. You know, you got the diamond, but what makes them cool are all the unique parts of it. For me, it's really all about the views, those
1: panoramic 360-degree views that were picked specifically because they offer the best viewpoint of the surrounding backcountry. Yeah. And given this f- sort of fundamental feature, they've really gained kind of a second life as insanely popular recreation destinations. Yeah. And really, even five-star resorts can't really match some of these views. But instead of paying like, you know, $500 a night or something kind of wild, they're on public land and everyone is allowed to visit. I mean, you know, you're on an even playing field with anyone else jockeying for a night.
0: Yeah, and it's 100% true. I've heard people talk about as they become more popular, I would pay $200 a night to stay in a lookout like they would do it. But because of the way it works, because it's a publicly funded system, it just doesn't work that way. And the experience is just, it's something that really sticks out to you. I mean, I distinctly remember being at and Mountain Lookout right so that's down in southwest oregon and you can see the ocean from there and i remember i saw a storm coming off the ocean you know then creep into the mountains and i'm watching it like dive into the valleys and creep over the top and i'm just like wow this is really cool and then all of a sudden just swept over us and so we're getting help- pelted with you know rain and wind but i'm sitting there enjoying it like drinking a cup of coffee and it just allows you to enjoy the natural power of the mountains in a way you can't otherwise, because you're sprinting for your car, trying to get out of the rainstorm. Here, you can watch the rainstorm, and it's, it's just really cool.
1: Yeah, you're not sitting there quaking in your tent or something.
0: Yeah, no, exactly, you're just like, wow, front row seat.
1: Okay, let's jump into it. Remember, we've got three categories here. So we're gonna start out with a lookout that's abandoned and maybe a little haunted.
0: All right, so the first lookout we're going to check out is Bull of the Woods Lookout. It's deep in the wilderness, due east of Salem, just north of the Opal Creek area. So right off the bat, this, the one of my favorite things is that every person that worked at this lookout referred to it as the Bull. So not only is that a great name, but it really captures kind of the rugged and isolated nature of it. Here's a little audio from a trip that I took to the Bull last summer. All right, well, this morning I am headed out to Bull of the Woods Lookout out here in Mount Hood National Forest, just a ways outside of Estacado. Bull of the Woods is an interesting lookout because, you know, it's not one you can rent overnight. It's not one that's still staffed by the Forest Service. It's it's really just a relic of the bygone glory days of Oregon's fire lookouts. It was originally built in 1928 and served its purpose until it was decommissioned. And now it's mostly a hiking destination. I'm really pretty curious about what I'm gonna find. Some of these old fire lookouts look like a stiff breeze could blow them over. They're in pretty rough shape. So I'm curious about whether I'll be able to climb up into the catwalk. Okay, so after about a two and a half hour drive from Salem, uh, I've reached the Bull of the Woods trailhead out here in a real remote uh, rocky forest service road. Um, Expecting about a Four or five mile hike to the actual lookout. So, gonna get started. All right, well, I've finally arrived at Bull of the Woods Lookout, and man, this is about as good as I could have expected. You're in the forest for almost the entire hike, and then you come out to a ridge line, and bam, you have a panoramic view all the way from Mount Hood is right in front of you. Mount Jefferson right in front of you. Three Sisters, Three Finger Jack, Mount Washington, you can see it all really clearly. This view is outstanding. There's also wildflowers surrounding the lookout which is really cool. The lookout itself, obviously it has seen better days. Uh, The windows are pretty much all knocked out and the timber, it's stable, and it's still standing um, but it, it looks pretty rough all right well i'm about to climb up into the lookout i'm a little nervous there's definitely some missing boards up there but it looks pretty solid for being as old as it is so i'm climbing up the stairs right now feeling all right i mean the the catwalk that surrounds the lookout is in pretty decent shape um The boards are are weathered, but not too many of them are broken, there's only a few missing. So I feel confident at least being up here.
1: So it sounds like that lookout tower is maybe in good enough shape that you can climb up to it, but the cabin itself isn't accessible. What's the long term plan here?
0: Yeah, it's kind of unique. I mean, the lookout is just boarded up right now. You're not allowed to go inside or sleep in there or anything like that. The problem is it's in a federally designated wilderness area, so the Forest Service won't fix it up and, and turn it into a rental. It's just there's some red tape there uh, that you can't get around. So basically, they're, they're willing to keep it standing, but that's about it. So was it actually
1: haunted? Did you happen to meet any ghost of a bygone lookout?
0: Didn't meet any ghosts. I did do some research on Bull of the Woods and got to know, you know, through their writings, some of the lookouts that worked there. One of them was named Bud Unruh. So he was there in the 1940s and what he remembered was the isolation. So he talked about having to hike in 16 miles from the end of the road to the lookout and then seeing basically nobody for four months. I mean, I like solitude. Don't know if I could take it that far.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it'd be fun for a couple weeks, but then you'd start going a little stir-crazy, kind of given the lack of ways there was to communicate at the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can't can't post updates uh, on Facebook in the 1940s from a remote lookout tower. You are actually by yourself. No retweeting from the wilderness. Certainly not. That isolation also caused a few issues, though. Um, One of the other lookouts that that I read about was named Don Allen. So he was here in the 1950s. And he told a story about a day when he spotted a fairly large fire close to the lookout. So he calls it in over the radio, but people were engaged. And he's so far out in the wilderness, they were just kind of like, you do it. And so he loads up his axe, his Pulaski, his shovel, his saw, and just hikes out and single-handedly digs and cuts a line around the fire and, and got, it, got it suppressed. I mean, that's, that's old school firefighting.
1: All right, from a broken down lookout to a still functioning one, where are
0: we headed next? All right, well, the next place we're traveling to is Coffin Mountain Lookout. It's located about two hours east of Salem in Willamette National Forest. It's really a great place to be reminded that for all the new technology in our lives, fire lookouts still serve their original purpose in a lot of places. So earlier this summer, I headed to Coffin Mountain to talk with Ann Amundsen. She's been staffing the lookout for the last 29 years. To get up to visit her, had to drive on some gravel roads southeast of Detroit Lake before a pretty steep hike takes you up to the lookout.
2: You are Zach?
0: I'm Zach. How's it going? You don't
2: look like your pictures. I don't look like my pictures. Well, thanks so much for having us up. Sure. I'm Ann Amundsen on Coffee Mountain Lookout. work for the Willamette National Forest and... Uh, my 29th season here.
0: When you look out, like, what, what, what are you looking at? So the
2: Wil- Mount Jefferson Wilderness out here in Mount Jefferson.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, and you can kind of tell where the clear cuts are. Then it's wilderness beyond that. And then heading south, you have Hoodoo with the little slash line and Mount Washington. And the Three Sisters with Broken Top in the background. It's a lot of looking around. Officially, you only have to look around every 15 minutes. But I know the lookouts that I know, I think we spend a lot more time than that. And you just are in the habit of constantly looking around. I wake up in the middle of the night. That's the first thing you do is look around. That's what that's what you do. There's times when I'm like I feel like I'm staring holes in the ground, and when one pops up, it's pretty obvious, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but other times, it's like wow. I had one oh eight years ago or so. It was on the state land, and all it was was drift smoke came up, uh, uh, you know, above the farthest ridge, and then it was gone. And you start thinking, did I really see that? You know, I'm watching, watching. Nothing else came up. I'm like, I know I saw it. Like, call it in. Somebody needs to go check that out. And it was. It was a five-acre fire way out. So it's easy to second-guess yourself. Yeah. <laughs> when you're the only one here, if I have somebody else visiting even, I'll do you see that? Do you see that? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Now I know for sure.
0: Can you tell when it's, like, a fire, when it's, like, something else? Yeah,
2: you do. But last week, with the really cold temperatures at night, and then in the morning when it started warming up, a lot of... Um, the small lakes out here will produce steam and make their own little clouds. Yeah. And, oh my gosh, I stared at a few of them for a long time. Like, okay, but that's not quite like a smoke, but it's not coming up really high enough for me to see. And I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching them, you know, before I was even in service. And, uh... It went away and that was it so you know you line your firefinder up on it, it goes right over this lake that's out there mm-hmm. probably what it is it looks like it to me but people like to camp at lakes so yeah. you don't know
0: for sure <laughs> in a normal year um do you spot like like how many how many do you think you spot? huge
2: variety yeah. um two years ago was a record low of zero for yeah. me <laughs> i think the whole willamette burned like five acres total yeah, yeah. and then i think my highest year is 40 some fires. Mm-hmm. I just have particular lightning storms that really stand out. Yeah. In my like mind. can you
0: see like can you see the lightning like mm-hmm. all over the place?
2: Mhm. And... and yeah, I can remember one storm, I don't know what year, I'm sure it's in my journal, um, where you heard thunder for like almost a whole minute after a strike, you know. It was just mm-hmm. the most amazing rumble go on for the longest time. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it's got to be
0: cool watching yeah. like those storms like come in and yeah.
2: then, like when they come overhead and the safest place in this building is to be on the bed, which is great. And if it's gonna be that close and I have to disconnect my radio, um, I just sit there with a pillow <laughs> and uh because if you don't know where to look for lightning, it could happen any direction and, and if you do look when it's a flash right in front of you, then you're blinded for seconds. Mm-hmm so you don't know which way to look so and then it's so loud and the building shakes and you just jump sort of thing and it's just pretty exciting for <laughs> one that
0: is so what what's like the ideal scenario for like you know with people who hike up here like do you like them to come and just shoot the breeze with you for a little bit but understand you're working and
2: yeah yeah um and that's fine and there's sometimes you know Well, I'll answer some questions but say I'm really busy with the radio right now or, you Mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and most lookouts I know are fine with that. Yeah. 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 Um, I do have people, though, that want to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. And I have people ask me for water. I just had a guy climb up on my deck while I was standing here to grab my wash basin. I was using to rinse my paintbrushes because he needed it for his dog. But I was thinking, well you could have asked me you know he just climbed up and grabbed it I was kind of like what are you doing for the most part everybody's fantastic I mean I have regular visitors now that come up and bring me chocolate every time they show
0: up you know oh that's (laughs) nice yeah (laughs) yeah you know there used to be so many you know 800 fire lookouts Mm -hmm. it's gradually gotten smaller like do you feel like a I don't know, a steward of this, like, profession that's been going on since, like, the 1920s and stuff? Yeah. Carrying on that traditional, like, do you have that feeling
2: about it? I do. I do. It's kind of cool to be part of that. And and worried about that fading, you know, and it could. And so I just, I'm going to feel lucky that I've been able to do it. Uh I never thought it would be, like, my career, but, um, yeah, it's ended up that way. And I think as long as you really like what you're doing, Mm -hmm. that's what's most important.
1: So one thing I couldn't help but notice in that interview is that Ann seems really friendly and outgoing. It's just not what you would normally think about, you know, these folks that are out there very solitary, sitting by themselves for months on end, like the guys in Boulder Woods. (laughs) She didn't really fit that stereotype.
0: Yeah, she doesn't fit it at all. And she kind of strikes me as a modern fire lookout. With all those people hiking up, she's really the public face for the Forest Service in a lot of ways. She interacts with the public every day. But she also has to be good at her job, and a great example is that a few weeks after we did the interview, she called in a wildfire burning just five miles north of Detroit. It definitely had the possibility to grow and get out of control and cause some problems, but she got on it early, they got it out. It's an important job. All right,
1: we've been to an abandoned lookout and now a staff lookout. When we come back, we'll talk about all the great places that you can actually rent overnight.
0: Did you know that the Statesman Journal's outdoor section has an app? It's true. It's called the Explore Oregon app and it features detailed information on more than 200 places around the state. It's designed for your iPhone or Android devices and what's cool about it is that you can turn it on and find information about all the places closest to you. So say you're traveling in Bend. Turn on the app and immediately you'll find information about great hikes closest to you. Learn more at exploreoregonapp.com or download it from the App Store of your choice today.
1: All right, welcome back. In the second half of our show, we're gonna talk almost entirely about the lookout towers you're allowed to rent overnight. But we're gonna start, as we typically do, with a story about the history of lookouts.
0: Yep, to get some good information on the backstory here, I headed up to Portland to visit an author who's spent the last few years researching Oregon's lookout towers. Cool. So I am here at the West Linn Public Library with Cheryl Hill, author of Fire Lookouts of Oregon. Cheryl, thanks for taking some time. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's, let's jump back in time a little bit. So what laid the groundwork for the fire lookout system to be installed? I mean, what was, what was going on in the early 1900s that, that made it necessary?
3: So in 1910, there was a huge wildfire. They called it the Big Blow-Up, and it was mostly in Idaho and Montana, and it burned three million acres. It was a massive wildfire. It was a very devastating fire, and it was so devastating that the Forest Service decided they needed to prevent this kind of thing in the future. And they developed this network of fire lookouts throughout the National Forests.
0: You know, we talked a little bit about this, but when is that window, that sort of golden age of fire lookouts, you know, when they were the most prolific in Oregon? And uh, so when was that going on? Give me a sense of that time period.
3: The lookout building boom really got going in the 1930s. And a big reason for that was the Civilian Conservation Corps. Uh, Suddenly there was this big workforce of men who could work on campgrounds and trails and roads. Interestingly, a lot of women became lookouts during World War II. Men were off fighting in the war, and so women, often school teachers, were uh, staffing lookouts in place of men who were off fighting the war.
0: So I've always been amazed by, you know, you talked a little bit about the remote location. I mean, did you get a sense in in doing your book on, like, how they actually did it because i've tried to imagine like even a place like full of the woods like you know there's there wasn't a road i don't think and so was it just young men hauling this material back and forth or did you get a sense of how that happened
3: so in the early days of the lookouts there were very few roads and so their trails had to be built they built a network of trails through the forest and built trails up to these lookout sites And then materials had to be hauled in by horses and mules. And a lookout requires quite a bit of material. You need uh, concrete for the foundation. You need wood. You need nails and hammers and, of course, the windows. So they'd have to make many trips with all those horses and mules. So
0: when did, uh, you know, that golden age start to end and and what what sort of precipitated uh, the decline from, you know, why did they stop, you know, needing to be used quite so much?
3: So lookout use really declined in the 1950s. They started using aerial detection more during that time. Uh, Helicopters and planes started to be used more for spotting fires, and they started to use the lookouts less. The aerial detection was considered more efficient than paying people to staff lookouts and get supplies to the lookouts, and so they really started to decline in the 1950s.
0: So any other interesting tidbits or, you know, thoughts on Lookout in general?
3: One of the interesting parts about Lookout history is the legacy that they've left. Even though so many of them are gone now, we now have those trails to mountaintops. And there are so many great hikes now that may not exist if those trails hadn't been originally built to access the Lookouts.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for for taking some time.
3: Thanks for having me. All right, welcome
1: back. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk entirely about how to rent a lookout overnight. And even though there are some challenges you'll have to kind of overcome with some rough roads and steep hikes, really the biggest challenge of all is just securing a reservation.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's about 20 lookouts that you're able to rent in Oregon at different times of the year, and just about all of them are in high demand at this point. So this is something you really want to start planning six Months in advance? No, really, six months.
1: Yeah, I mean, imagine the popularity of yurts, and then just crank it up.
0: Yeah, and there's just the the, the problem is it's just a le- there's there's it, so few of them. Yeah, like the demand far far outstrips the supply in this yeah. case.
1: All right, let's go through the steps to actually make a reservation for a night in lookout. Where do we start?
0: So the first thing you got to do is get a list of all the available lookouts. That's the first thing I would do. The Forest Service has a, a nice one where it has each one that's available. Each one offers something different, and like I said, I'd read up on them to decide which ones I wanted to stay at. I mean, if you're going with a little kid, you don't want to have to climb 2,000 feet to the top of a mountain.
1: Snowshoe three miles. Yeah, or something
0: like that. So, you know, pick out, like, cast a wide net. Pick three or four of the 20 that you really like and would like to stay at, because some of them, you know, they're just not going to work out.
1: And dates become available about six months in advance, right?
0: Yeah, so right after you've got your list of lookouts that you like and the dates you want to go, exactly six months before the date you want to go, go on to recreation.gov. So that's recreation.gov. That's the website for all Forest Service reservations. And put in the name of the lookout you want. So, for example, if you want to stay at Drake Peak Lookout on June 28th, make sure you're online December 28th, early in the morning if not midnight the day before. I'm not exaggerating to say that to get the right date, if it's a weekend, you want to be online as the clock strikes midnight, six months in advance of when you want to go. If that sounds crazy, the competition is just that fierce.
1: So how much of the lookouts cost per night? What's the
0: range we're talking about here? The cost of them has been going up a little bit, but as of now, uh, you know, about 40 to, to $85 a night. You know, what's funny is that they're in such high demand that they could easily charge $200 or $300 per night. But as a government agency, they're not allowed to do that. I've always thought that's kind of a cool part of this program. Anything else people
1: should know about staying at the lookout before we dive into a few of your favorites?
0: Well, each one is going to be different. But in general, you're bringing all of your equipment. Um, so don't count on having water or really any amenities whatsoever. Think of this as camping with just a, you know, a, a rustic uh, roof over your head.
1: All right, let's dive into our favorite mountaintop (laughs) Marriotts. Let's start out with a good one. If it's your first time, uh, really, this is a user-friendly lookout and kind of a good way to get rolling with this style of camping.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to start out with Indian Ridge Lookout. It's located east of uh, Eugene near Mackenzie Pass and Cougar Reservoir. This one is user-friendly mainly because you can drive all the way to it. There's no hike or anything. And the roads to the top really aren't that bad. They're they're gravel, but you don't need a high clearance vehicle. This is a good one to do in, in a Subaru.
1: So what makes it stand out as far as lookouts?
0: Sure. So I just have really fond memories of this place because it's where I took my wife and my daughter when she was just two years old. She was just starting to talk at that time. And she decided the best way to describe it was the tall house. And that's That's pretty apt, that's a good description of it. It's 40 feet high off the ground, so kind of a cabin on stilts. And there's a long staircase, long winding staircase to a hatch that leads to this wraparound porch in in the cabin up there. The views are always the big thing and they're they're great here. Uh, The closest mountains are the Three Sisters, but you can actually see nine different Cascade Peaks all the way from Mount Hood to, to Diamond Peak.
1: So assume we win the reservation battle, we survive the six month wait, what are we going to find there? What are the amenities? Light stove
0: anything? Actually one of the things that's kind of unique about this is that there are literally zero amenities. Some lookouts have like lights, a stove or or one thing. At Indian Ridge, there's just nothing. No water, no lights, no electricity. The only thing on the inside is a table, chairs and two twin size beds and they're plank beds. They don't even have like the nice mattress. So you got to bring your own mattress. There's there's nothing. Um, One of the challenges is the outhouse is on the ground. uh, So when you want to go to the bathroom at night, uh, you have to climb all the way down in the dark and try not to hurt yourself. Um, We were actually potty training my daughter on this trip, so we brought a little thing called a squatty potty up into the lookout. It's like this little plastic thing. And so I have these great pictures of her sitting on the little squatty potty You know, doing her business. You just say Squatty Potty as many times as possible. (laughs) It's a hilarious name. It is. But they're really nice, man. Like, what am I going to do? Like, walk her down through this treacherous, like, stairs in the middle of the night? It's a
1: parental lifesaver, it sounds
0: Uh, like it. Yeah, and and so she's just sitting there on the little Squatty Potty. And I have pictures of her, like, with just these sweeping mountain views all over the place. It's one of my favorite And with those...
1: And with those sweeping views, uh, mean you're actually pretty close to some fun spots for hiking and swimming. What's there to do around Indian Ridge?
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty strong in that regard. You're pretty close to Cougar Reservoir, so if you like the fishing and the reservoir experience, that's right there. Um, but right next to the surrounding the lookout are, are great huckleberry groves, all in one place. We'd actually do a morning hike and pick huckleberries and then make pancakes with them. So that, that was pretty great. Uh, there's also a, a place nearby called Hidden Lake and it's kind of your standard mountain lake with one exception. There's a group of hippies that have constructed like these Huck Finn style rafts that just sort of sit along the shoreline and you're actually allowed to like paddle them out onto the lake. Like these like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe them. They're like literally what Huck Finn created to float down the river. And uh, it, it's, it's pretty great. I mean, they are going to curse my name for, for mentioning that fact here and even the forest service doesn't necessarily approve of it but it's one of those cool things and yeah it's right there
1: all right for the next lookout let's talk about a place where there's a bit more of a challenge and a place that's actually not too far from home here in salem
0: yeah up next we've got gold butte lookout it's located east of salem and north of detroit lake so two things make this one a little bit more of a challenge. First, the drive follows a very, very rough road. I mean, seriously, when you're when you're driving this, it feels like your car might just like fall apart or like you're on a wooden roller coaster because it's just like... <laughs> the other thing is to keep in mind is that you have to hike to this lookout. Meaning, so that's the second thing that makes it a little bit more of a challenge, meaning you have to carry all of your gear in there. The hike is steep is a steep three quarters of a mile, so it's not super long, but it's it's long enough that you have to plan a little bit better because you're gonna have to haul all that gear up there. Like that's not a small thing. Um it's not a lot of fun making multiple trips, so you really want to have like your 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 gear game on point.
1: Yeah steep hikes aside, the best thing about Gold Butte for me are the mountain views. The view of Mount Jefferson I think is one of the best views of that mountain you can get.
0: I mean, that's probably the highlight. I At some of the lookouts, you're kind of set back a little bit. That's true of Indian Ridge and some of the other ones you're going to talk about. But here, like, you're on top of Mount Jefferson almost. It's almost like it, you'll be washing dishes or something, you'll look up and it's like Mount Jefferson's like looking you in the face like a person. It's it's kind of weird in that way.
1: Yeah, Gold Butte actually has a pretty cool story. I mean, most of the fire lookouts have pretty decent history, but Gold Buttes is really interesting.
0: Yeah, so it was built in 1934 during kind of the heyday of building. And it was one of the first lookouts that was active during World War II. It was typically manned by a husband and wife team. And their mission was to watch for enemy aircraft that might be invading the United States. Like It was part of the Aircraft Warning Service. And their job was to report everything that came in, every sight or sound.
1: You know, it sounds kind of wild now, but at the time, there was precedent for enemy aircraft actually invading not just the United States at Pearl Harbor, but actually making it to the coast here in Oregon.
0: That's It's such a ridiculous story, but I, yeah, so on September 9th, 1942, I mean, right in the midst of World War II, a Japanese fighter plane came in from the Pacific and launched an attack on, I guess you'd have to say it was Oregon's forest. Like the plane carried two incendiary bombs, and the goal was to actually start a wildfire in the coast range. I guess the, the goal was to get revenge for the Americans bombing Tokyo uh, the previous April, which caused terrible fires there. I can't quite figure out why they didn't attack a, a city, but either way, the aircraft did drop the bomb. It did start the fire, but it was pretty wet. It fizzled and was pretty easily put out. It's one of the only attacks on the United States mainland during the war, so there's certainly a reason they had these lookouts staffed.
1: All right, so getting back to Gold Butte Lookout itself, what kind of place is it?
0: What makes it unique? Well, it's not the tall house, as, as my daughter would have it. Uh, it's just built into a rocky peak. One thing that distinguishes Gold Butte is that it's in really good shape, and that's because it was rebuilt fairly recently. The original one had pretty much fallen apart, so the Sand M- Mountain Society, they took it up and they rebuilt it using as much original material as they could. So this version of Gold Butte opened in 2007. You can really see that in the quality, but it also looks basically the same as the old one did. It just doesn't have holes in the walls.
1: And again, it doesn't really boast too many amenities. There's only one twin sized bed, no electricity or water. So you have to carry in pretty much everything. There is a wood stove to keep you warm though.
0: Yeah. One thing I'd add is that recreation nearby is great, Elk Lake, just down the road. And there are also trailheads very close that lead to Battleaxe Mountain, also a former lookout site, and into the Bull of the Woods Wilderness, and that's one of my favorite areas to hike and backpack.
1: So we talked about two places that are pretty easy to access and open during the summer. For the third one, we're going to ratchet up the challenge level quite a bit more and add in a dash
0: of winter. (laughs) Yeah, the next one is Warner Mountain Lookout. It's a lot different than the ones we've talked about because it's a winter lookout. And what that means is that it's actually still staffed by the Forest Service in the summer, so they open it up for rental during the winter.
1: Yeah, it's located east of Eugene, south of Oak Ridge, and kind of near Hills Creek Reservoir. And to kick up the excitement factor a little bit more, there's not really an established trail. You're just following snow-covered, unmaintained gravel roads uh, anywhere from about four to 12 miles one way.
0: So here's how it works. You said four to 12 miles. That seems like a weirdly large variation. But basically what you do is you drive as far as you can on those remote roads until you eventually hit snow that's too deep to keep driving. So that becomes your trailhead. So you park and you start skiing or snowshoeing and you just go.
1: And something kind of interesting, when I was reading up about the Forest Service uh, instructions on sort of how to get there, they make a pretty uh, specific request that you park facing downhill. Because again, this is the middle of winter, you're going to be responsible for getting yourself out if you need to be towed. They're not coming to the rescue.
0: Yeah, and you're going to have really poor luck trying to get a tow truck up into these remote roads in the snow. Um, and I mean, and you could see how that could happen because uh, on the trip that I took here, you know, you reserve these dates six months in advance and the dates that I happened just happened to be in the middle of a snowstorm. So I was really bundled up, you know, cause I wasn't gonna like, I wasn't gonna not go. I just, I had to do it. So I got really bundled up. I got the pack on my back and I'm basically skiing through a blizzard. Um, the one nice thing is that the road is well marked. Um, so there's pointers to the lookout fairly often at major junctions. And that was important because I could barely see the roads I was supposed to be following. By the time I reached the lookout, I was exhausted, really cold, just totally spent. And so I climbed up the lookout and it was like heaven there was electric lights, a propane-powered stove, a refrigerator stocked with a couple of Budweiser's. (laughs) Like, I don't like Budweiser's, but when I'm that exhausted- In that moment, they were probably amazing. In that moment, it was amazing. The Lookout warmed up really quickly. You just flip on one of those little space heater fake (laughs) stoves. Like, you don't even have to make your own fire. And changing the pajamas. So I'm sitting there sipping beer, eating beef stew, while the storm is just rocking the Lookout. Like it was great, like the storms just like nailing the windows, it's it's swaying in the wind, it's crazy. And I'm just sitting there like checking my phone, like just hanging out, it was wonderful. And eventually the storm passed and this perfect white wonderland like spreads out all around me, diamond peaks right in the foreground and it's one of my favorite moments ever in the outdoors because I really felt like I'd earned it and there's just no other, you'll find this in lookouts, like it just doesn't feel like you should be able to be cozy and comfortable in your location. Like, it just doesn't make sense.
1: So, given kind of the death-defying acts that you have to go through to get there, are the winter lookouts any easier to
0: reserve? You know, I I wish there were. Um, To a point, you'll find more like midweek dates when people have canceled and stuff like that, but as far as the weekends go, it's, it's just as hard as the summer lookouts. I mean, there's only like three, maybe four winter lookouts, and a lot of people who want to have this experience, so yeah, it's just supply versus demand is, is way out of whack.
1: Okay, so obviously the whole point of these lookouts is the Spot Wildfires, and this next location really hammers that home. Tell us about your pick for the most interesting lookout.
0: Right, so the, mo- the most interesting lookout I'm going to pick is Snow Camp Lookout. and Contrary to the name, it's actually a summer lookout. So this, this is, one, again, one you drive to. The thing that makes it so interesting is that it provides an up-close view of the aftermath from two of Oregon's largest wildfires. So it's located in southwest Oregon, about an hour from Brookings and Gold Beach, right on the edge of the Calameopsis Wilderness. How
1: hard is this one to get to?
0: Well, it's nice because, again, it's, it's one that you can drive all the way to. The roads are fairly rough, but this is this is open to, you know, a Subaru or something like that. And what makes it so so fascinating is the wildfire scars that you can see that are left from the 2002 Biscuit Fire and the 2007 Chetco Bar Fire. So these two megafires burned almost 700,000 acres combined. They were two of Oregon the largest wildfires in Oregon's history.
1: Yeah, and actually the lookout burned down at
0: one point, didn't it? Yeah, this lookout has had its life threatened on a number of occasions and yeah, in 2002 the Biscuit Fire actually burned it burned it down to the ground. Once again, it was those hardy volunteers at the Sand Mountain Society that that stepped in, rebuilt it, used as much of the old original material as possible. The crazy thing is that the lookout was almost burned again in 2017 by the Chetco Bar Fire. You can actually see the fire where the fire roared all the way up the mountain, and it stopped just short of the lookout. It's uh, it's it's pretty nuts.
1: Yeah, there's actually a photo of a fire crew standing in front of the lookout, and the lookout itself was all wrapped in those aluminum sheets they use that reflect the heat of the wildfire, and just like. the the whole crew has smiles on their face because they obviously, you know, successfully defended this one little human
0: outpost. (laughs) It would have been just so depressing, like, if you have a lookout that people love that gets burned down not once but twice, uh, that just, it probably wouldn't have gotten rebuilt.
1: Yeah, not good luck at that point. So what does the scars look like uh,
0: from the wildfires now? And so that's the interesting part. So when you walk out onto the porch surrounding the lookout, you know, you look on one side and it is a blackened wasteland. Like the forest has just been burned down to ash. The vegetation's incinerated. The trees look like matchsticks. It would be easy to believe that this, you know, jagged peak in southwest Oregon, it'll, it'll never resemble a forest again. And that's from the more recent Chetco Bar Fire. But then you look on the other side of the lookout, and there's a lot of green flora and, and small trees all growing up through the scar left behind by the Biscuit Fire. And it's a really interesting contrast to see that destruction and rebirth of an ecosystem following a major wildfire. Like, Biscuit burned hot, but eventually, you know, it comes back, and it's healthier. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a good lesson.
1: Yeah, so what are some of the other highlights at Snow Camp?
0: Well the ocean view is the, is the big thing. The sunsets are amazing on a clear night. Um, and it's just one of the most inter- it's in one of the most interesting places in Oregon. You know, you've got Gold Beach and Brookings on the coast where you'll find great coastal rainforest, uh, Oregon's only collection of redwoods. And then you drive toward the lookouts and you enter what feels kind of like a desert. The the Klamath Siskiyou Mountains have one of the most interesting geologies in the state. It's got this serpentine rock that creates it just doesn't look like anything else in Oregon. It's just this rumpled, burnt orange landscape. Um, and this is the wilderness. It's all around snow camp.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our previous podcast episode where we actually explore the redwoods, including Oregon's own. You can find that episode at statesmanjournal.com slash explore or an Apple Podcast or Google Play. Alright, let's end this podcast with your pick for the best overall mountaintop lookout experience. Which did you choose?
0: Man, so we talked about a lot of places and trying to pick just one, that's pretty tough. But my final answer is this place called Hagger Mountain Lookout. It's way out there in South Central Oregon on the edge of the high desert near Silver Lake. And I picked it because it is every element I love in a lookout experience. So there's a, a long and grueling climb through the snow to knock out views at the top and a very rustic experience when you're there, you know, chopping wood for the evening's fire in this cast iron stove, you honestly feel like it's a hundred years ago.
1: Okay, that sounds both excellent and exhausting. Let's start with this. You said it's a winter lookout. Tell me about the climb.
0: So you begin on a, on a forest service road just south of Silver Lake, and and they keep the road plowed all year, or they're, they're supposed to. So often, you know, you might not start in the snow. Sometimes you might start in the snow. It just depends where it is. But basically, there's a trail. It's actually a National Recreation Trail that you're following. It's pretty well marked, and it's a four-mile hike with 2,000 feet of climb to the top. That sounds like a healthy hike, but it kind of undersells how difficult it is because, again, you're climbing through the snow... Um, it's 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 difficult, and there's there's a moment at the beginning where you see the lookout way up there, and it's kind of demoralizing because you're like, <laughs> man, I have to climb all the way up there.
1: So you said it's on the edge of the high desert. Wow. What are you looking at when you finally get up there?
0: Yeah, that's the interesting part. So to the east, there's just this endra- endless sweep of desert. So you know buttes, mesas, fault blocks, a lot of you know rolling brown. To the west is great because the forest starts off kind of patchy and then it gets thicker and thicker as it kind of rolls up into the Cascade Range. And the Cascade Range, you know, the volcanoes are a ways in the distance, but because you're set back so far, you can see basically every major Cascade Range peak in Oregon, you know, kind of depending where you're saying You can see the entire sweep of the state.
1: Yeah. So, this being kind of central eastern Oregon, probably
0: less uh, cloud cover
1: yeah. than we would experience here on the west.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty sunny.
1: So, what does the uh, lookout itself
0: offer? What kind of amenities? Well, because it's staffed in the summer, like Warner, it does have a few more amenities. So, there's actually three bunks, meaning you can host a few more people than most of the other lookouts, which usually only have like one bunk. Um, so, there's three of those, a stove, a fireplace, uh, propane-powered lights, and a random assortment of foods. I don't. There's not much you want. You'd want to eat. You want to bring your own food, but you know, if it's an emergency, there's some stuff there. It's pretty cozy. My favorite part was honestly just being on top of this 8,000-foot mountain. And at dusk, you got the sunset coming in. I'm just sitting up there chopping firewood, you know, for the evening's fire. It it, It felt right.
1: Sounds positively luxurious. Well, that about wraps it up. Any other places you want to mention?
0: Yeah, here's a, a couple other favorites because, again, there's, a, there's 20 lookouts you can rent. There's 100 lookouts overall, so we barely scratched the service. Um, some of my favorites are Bowlin Mountain. Uh, that's right on the border of Oregon and California, uh, down south of Grant's Pass. There's Five Mile Butte, which is a very popular lookout near Mount Hood, and that one is open both in the summer and the winter. Like That's a, that's a recreation reservation place all year. Uh, Fall Mountain is out by the Strawberry Mountains in a beautiful part of the state near John Day and Drake Peak Lookout is in a very remote part of the state out in the southeast like you can that from that lookout you can see into like Idaho, you know Wyoming like into all these different states. And finally the last one I want to mention is Acker Ridge lookout. There's a really short window when you can actually reserve this one, but it is literally built into the edge of a cliff. We're gonna take you out with kind of a fun story that I got from Cheryl Hill. Uh, this is just one of my favorite stories that she gave me. Didn't have a spot in the lookout, but we're gonna lead with it anyway.
3: So when I was researching my book, I actually came across quite a few interesting and quirky stories. Uh, one story I came across was uh, the lookout at Dome Rock was nearing the end of his season and he thought he was gonna to get to go home and, cause it was supposed to rain. And so, you know, end of the season, rain, time to go home. So he chucked all his groceries off the mountaintop. Well, then the rain didn't come. So he had to stay, uh, stay for a few more days. But he had no more food because he chucked it all off the mountaintops. But he had to stay up there and be hungry.
1: All right. That wraps up our episode on fire lookouts in Oregon. We hope our tips get you a successful night or even a hike to remember. If you like what you heard, make sure to check us out on statesomejournal.com slash explore for stories on places mentioned in the podcast, and subscribe at either Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Thanks for listening.